Hello and welcome to Movie Throwdown. My name, like always, is David Isles, and this is the show where we take similarly reviewed movies over time and we compare them based off of six things. Those six things are story, script, characters, visuals, music, and effect. And uh, if you haven't, this is our fifth episode, and if you haven't been watching, we have some great episodes. In the past, we did Jaws, we looked at um, Inglorious Bastards, Social Network, lots of great films in the past. Check those out if you want to, and especially check out that first episode if you want a little bit more about what this show is and how it runs. But this episode's going to be a little bit different than the other four, so a little peek behind the curtain. I usually do about 30 minutes to an hour's worth of prep for these episodes, and not necessarily prep just like making a document, but usually either between watching videos to refresh me on on the movies that I've done or also making notes to make sure I'm going to hit every single point that I want to say about each film. I usually have a pretty like one or two pages of notes about the films that I'm going to be talking about for each episode. And with this episode, I'm sorry if you heard that. I don't know how much of the mic got that, but I was listening back to one of the episodes and it just, I just sounded really rehearsed, um, and and I wanted to kind of switch it up. So I think for this episode, I decided to do no no notes, and that's for and well, that's for two reasons. One reason I talk a lot faster. I can even tell just by doing this episode right now. I talk a lot faster when I have notes. I don't know why. If it, I don't know if it's me trying to hit every single point before I forget what I was going to say in my mind because my notes are usually pretty pretty bare. It's usually just one or two words and some bullet points. Um, or I don't know what the reason, but I usually am talking much faster, much more hyper when I have notes. And also, I feel like it's usually less like analysis-like and it's usually just me hitting a lot of points, which is fine. And I think I like the first few episodes I did, but I wanted to try something different for this one. And the reason I'm telling you any of this in the first place instead of just doing it, because y'all don't really need to know that, is just if you hear me saying, um, or I don't know, or if you hear me um, typing on the keyboard, like looking something up, that's the reason why, because I wanted this to be more conversational, more just natural and more just these are my thoughts on the film initially uh after after i watched the videos which i still did watch some videos rather than you know here are my prepared thoughts on every single topic so hopefully i think this will be better and if it's not then i'll do notes for the episode tomorrow but i think the reason why this episode in particular works for this concept is because this is going to be the first time of all of the all of the times I did movie throwdown, which this is episode number five, like I said, that I love, not like, not think is okay. I love every single movie that I'm going to talk about today. Because the first one I talked about to all the boys, or I don't remember which one I did to all the boys, but I think that movie's okay. I don't really like Reservoir Dogs. I think Up is pretty good, but not like great. Um, Six Sense, same thing. So every single one I've done so far. I've usually really liked one of the movies and then some of the other movies I'm just kind of eh about. So it's like Blade Runner 2049. And then when I'm talking about those movies, I usually am like, eh, it's okay, blah, 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 move on. But I can say in the case of these films, I love every single one of these films. So what are the films that I'm talking about this week? So 
it was hard for me to come to a movie that I wanted to do this week. I I, I was almost gonna not do an episode today because I was like, I just can't come up with any good movie comparisons. It was all movies that I was like, eh, about. And then I decided to randomly look up Marriage Story because I wanted to do an episode on Parasite, but Parasite has too high of a score. There's no movie that has an equal score to Parasite, so I can't do an episode on that. So I wanted to do a movie or a podcast about my second favorite movie of last year, Marriage Story. And I got very lucky that the movies that it is compared to are, first of all, very similar, or at least one of them is, and then also movies that I love. And one of them, the other one that I'm going to be talking about in this video is La La Land. That's Damien Chazelle's 2016 La La Land. That was my either my favorite or my second favorite right up there with Arrival of 2016. And then also Dunkirk, Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, which was my favorite movie of 2017. And my favorite war movie of all time. But I can say before you think it's going to be another Inception type situation... This is not my favorite Christopher Nolan movie of all time. It's not even in my top five favorite Christopher Nolan movies of all time. So this is not going to be some runaway for Dunkirk. I don't even know if Dunkirk's going to win, which I actually genuinely don't because I didn't prepare for this episode. So those are three movies that I, I really do love all three of them. And I can't wait to analyze them because I think it's going to be very interesting. And then finally, there are two other movies that were tied with the score, which were Before Sunset, which I have not seen yet. I've seen Before Sunrise, but not Sunset. And Saving Private Ryan, which I also have not seen. Oh, and also Toy Story 2. Sorry, there are three films. I was going to put Toy Story 2 on there, but I I would have to go back and revisit those films to really uh, differentiate the first one from the second one. And I didn't want to take the time to have to do that. And I think it's just too out there compared to these other three films. So I'm going to focus on the three because I think three films is a better way to analyze something than four anyway. So let's get into it. Um, story, right? Story is the first one. The The story of each of these three films, I think, is, is very good and very good for the film that it's portraying. Like in Marriage Story and La La Land, which are actually very similar in a way, you have, they're both love stories. But they're love stories told in different perspectives. Marriage story is told from the perspective of an end of a marriage. And uh, and I think one of the, the thing I love about marriage story the most is how real it is. Um, that I haven't been through a divorce. My parents haven't been through a divorce. I don't really know. Um, nobody that close to me has been through a divorce that at least has affected me that much to where I've seen it. But... This movie just did such a good job of portraying what a divorce is like and displaying and, and portraying it from a side where both sides are equal and nobody is the the bad guy in, in, in the marriage. Like so many of these films, especially relationship films, honestly, all rom-coms or especially rom-coms or just romance films in general. If there's ever a fight in a relationship, a quote-unquote fight, it is always someone's fault. Someone cheated, someone's neglecting the other person, someone's blah, blah, blah. There's always, it's one person's fault, there's one angel character, one devil character, and that's how a relationship has its faults. And But in reality, it, that doesn't have to be why. In reality... Sometimes people just aren't meant to be together, but for whatever reason, they are anyway. 
And at the end of a marriage, sometimes a marriage needs to end just because two people are no longer in love with each other or their interests are no longer um, no longer aligned. And it's the same thing you can see in La La Land. These two people, now on the other hand, they obviously loved each other and they were obviously right for each other, but they can't be together because they're stopping each other from reaching each other's dreams. So they had to make the decision, which one's more important to me, my dreams or my love for this other person? And marriage story is the same thing. Which one's more important to me, my dreams or or my marriage? And even though I don't really love this person anymore, we have a kid together and they have to make that decision. And marriage story could have easily taken the side of Scarlett Johansson's character, taken the side of Adam Driver's character, but it didn't. It played it equally from both sides. And you could really see the humanity and what was wrong. Um, you could really see the humanity of a divorce and that it's not really any one person's fault that anything happened. It just happens sometimes. And the real villain of the story, and this is what I got from a video essay. I can't remember it, but I think it was by the take. And the real villain of marriage story is the system. And the system is what brings out the worst in divorces, not the people. And I think that's a really cool aspect of marriage stories story. And it's a really cool aspect of La La Land story because it's the same thing. There were, you, you could watch La La Land and come up with the opinion that it was Sebastian's fault that the relationship ended. But you could also watch La La Land and come up with the fault that it's Mia's, or come up with the opinion that it's Mia's fault. But in actuality, it's neither of their faults. It just happened. They were two people who loved each other, who cared very deeply about each other, and tried very hard to make the relationship work. But in the at the end of the day, if they wanted to achieve their dreams, that could not happen. And I think that's one of the brilliant things about Marriage Story and one of the brilliant things about La La Land is that they both have, they are both real, but then they're also... I mean, they're stimulating. It's something that I talked about in the social network. I talked about performative versus real. Um, and both of these movies, Marriage Story, if you were watching somebody's actual divorce, it would not be entertaining. And maybe Marriage Story isn't necessarily entertaining. It's not something that makes me want to laugh. It's not something or anything like that. But it's very stimulating. It's not a movie that I found hard to watch as someone that hasn't really had to deal with divorce in that in my life. I've, it's not something that was hard to watch. It was something that was stimulating to me. Same thing with La La Land. La La Land could have been a generic love story, but it's not because of the nuances of the relationship put in there with all of the different dream sequences. Um, um, yeah, put in there with all the dream sequences and stuff, which could take away for some people because I know my mom and stuff, they were trying to watch this movie and they're like, why do they keep breaking in the song? Well, I think the reason why this is a musical and not just a, a love story is, first of all, it brings a new twist to the genre. And second, it, it shows their idealized version of what they want their life to be. That dream sequence at the beginning of the film with everybody dancing on the cards, that's what you want L.A. to be, but it's not. And that's why it jumps harshly back to them just being in their car stuck in traffic on an L.A. highway. You have the ending where you have this idealized version of their life together if everything had went right. But then it cuts sharply back 
to both of them who have achieved their dreams, but both have something huge missing from their lives because they aren't with the loves of their life. I think both of these movies are real and they're performative, but they're also grounded in reality. I like Marriage Story and I like La La Land for that reason. And then moving on to Dunkirk. Now Dunkirk, why did I add it in here? It's not just because I love Christopher Nolan, I actually think it connects a little bit. And it's because it does the same thing, where Dunkirk is not a traditional war film. It doesn't follow any one character. There is not any one specific villain. You don't even see the faces of the villain throughout the entire movie. It's just a movie depicting war. This is what war is. This is not really from anybody's perspective. There's no character that's really highlighted. There's no there's no even really one general story point to follow. No characters have backstories. There is nothing. This is just war. This is what war is depicted on film. And even more than just being a war film, this is characters fighting to survive. And when you're fighting to survive, which again, I, I mean, I haven't been in a survival situation. I haven't been in war. But when you're fighting to survive... You don't, the the politics of war and things like that aren't really in your mind. You don't really care about why are you fighting this war? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why have you got to this situation? All you care about is how am I going to get home and see my family again? I don't want to die. How am I going to make sure that I'm not going to die? That is what Dunkirk is about. And it shows people going crazy with the PTSD that Killian Murphy's character, um, Killian Murphy character was dealing with. It shows the the dynamic between the mole and Harry Styles and that relationship. And you can show how it can make people crazy and paranoid if they think that there's an enemy there because they're risking their lives and the lives of everybody around them. And then, and even with Tom Hardy's character, and that's kind of where you see more about. Um, more, uh, them versus the enemy is kind of in that storyline. But the greatest thing about Dunkirk is that it doesn't delve into any one thing. and It doesn't ever turn into a traditional war film. This is a film depicting war. This is a, this is a survival film. This is a film about trying to get back to your, trying to get back home, trying to survive, trying to get away from your family. And it does such a great job of showing fear and intensity and all of the all of the emotions depicted with war without delving into some cookie cutter backstory driven war film. I think it deserves a lot of praise for that. So I've talked a little bit too much on just the story aspect of each of these three films, but I think each of these films from a story aspect are un unbelievably good and this will be the hardest decision that I think I've had to make let's see but for this one I am going to give Dunkirk hmm oh man maybe I should have come up with the rankings beforehand because this is very hard Mm, for this one, I'm going to get Dunkirk third, La La Land second, and Marriage Story first. Um, let me actually, I need to keep up with scores, so let me go ahead and write that down in, in my notes. 
but that was Marriage Story first, La La Land second, and then Dunkirk third. First story only. So now let's talk about script. Now we're talking about individual scenes and we're talking about the dialogue between characters. Let's start with Dunkirk actually. Dunkirk, I bet you it has a very short script and there's not a lot of dialogue between characters, but that's the point I think of Dunkirk is, is that, I mean, it's not gonna be over dramatized and turned into some huge, you know, emotional thing. And like, I love how he, he's not gonna make you extremely attached to one character because they have a daughter waiting at home um, um, or or they just have have some type of circumstance where they really need to get home and then you're gonna kill them off. He doesn't he doesn't delve into those type of things just the way I don't know other films I think would and he doesn't because in the in the end of the day in war everybody has their own story. You don't want anybody to die. Everybody has someone waiting for them at home. And I think Christopher Nolan does a really good job of not giving that story to anybody. I've already talked about this, though. I think Dunkirk is really good at being a real film. But basically, I say that to say there might not be any script type things in Dunkirk that are like amazing. But I think it should still be applauded for what it did. But I do think most of the triumphs of Dunkirk come on the technical side, which I'm going to talk about later. But then we talk about Marriage Story, and then we talk about La La Land. So, as I talked about a little earlier with Marriage Story, with the performative verse being grounded in reality, I think most of that comes through in the dialogue. And I think this is a film that should have won Best Screenplay at the Oscars, even though I love Parasite. But I think the screenplay for this film is near perfect. Anytime you think it could just be just getting over the edge. Just when you, Mar uh, Scarlett Johansson's having her monologue and you think this could be getting just a little bit too dramatic, it brings it back down to reality. Or, or Adam Driver's song that happens near the end of the film. You could think, well, I don't really understand why is that in the film, but if you watch the whole film in succession, it really makes sense and it adds to the story. And I think the same thing um, and I said I wasn't going to talk fast, but I'm talking fast anyway because I get so excited about these films. But I think, um, oh, see, I lost my train of thought. See, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, well. But I think the, the thing with Marriage Story is, it's, again, yeah, it's that performative verse real. Wait, okay, thank you. I remembered what I was going to say. The fighting scene. That's what a lot of people come back to in Marriage Story, the fight scene. And if you watch just the fight scene, it definitely does seem very dramatic, over-the-top, Oscar-bait type film. You have Scarlett Johansson yelling on the top of her lungs, Adam Driver yelling, he's hitting the wall, doing all of this stuff. And it seems like a very Oscar-baity type drama. But if you watch the film, you can see, because that happens, I would say near, I wouldn't say near the end of the film, but definitely in the second half. And that stuff has been building the entire time. You see this relationship start from a from an amicable. I mean, it was it was bad, and there were seeds of bad things happening, but it was mostly amicable, and they wanted to have an amicable divorce. And then you could see them as the film goes along; they're just moving farther and farther apart. 
they're understanding each other less and less. And then the divorce lawyers get involved and it becomes more and more toxic. And that scene is just the climax of the film. And it's just, I just cannot take it anymore. I cannot believe you are acting the way you are. And basically everything that I have been holding inside for these past few months and even these past few years is going to come out right now. And that's why in this scene and in the scene in the courtroom, they're saying things that they either don't mean or they're over dramatizing or things that aren't really relevant to the divorce. They're saying those things because they're just angry at this process because they both care about their kid and they both care about each other. But this is something that has to happen and divorce isn't happy. And that's why there are certain scenes in there that are, that are, may seem over dramatic, but I don't think they are. Oh my gosh, I love Marriage Story. I can't. I, I, I could talk about that movie forever. But then let's compare it to La La Land. Now, La La Land script. Now, a lot is given to to Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone's chemistry, which I'll talk about a little bit later in the character section. But I think this does not work without a really great script because this movie could have easily not not like. Well, I'm just going to say it could easily become a dumb movie. This is a movie that could have easily become... Um, there was some Anna Kendrick musical love love rom-com movie. It could just become another Christmas movie that's, um, that's you know, it has it has nice music and whatever. You just forget about it in a few years. But why, does La, why is La La Land great? Why was it nominated for an Oscar? Why do people still talk about it today? It's because of the dialogue between characters and the performances by the actors and the cinematography. There's a lot of great things in this film, but mostly, sorry, it's between Mia and Sebastian and their relationship. You see it start and you see how they both come from two places where they're both very career driven, but see, I'm already talking about character. I'm already talking about characters. <laughs> um, I can't, I can't, these films are too good. But basically, I'm just trying to say, La La Land has an amazing screenplay. It shows the growth of the characters over time. And I think the greatest thing about it is it really interweaves those dream sequences and those song sequences in a way where it still is a musical. There's still no real reason to be going in the singing, but it makes sense and it adds to the movie rather than take, rather than takes away from the movie and if we're talking about individual memorable scenes in the movie on each of these three movies i think dunkirk has a few memorable scenes but i would i would contribute those more to technical achievements rather than rather than necessarily script i think the tension i think most of dunkirk's best scenes are the scenes where there's a lot of tension and a lot of fear built into the scene but i don't think that necessarily has to deal with script um, I think Marriage Story's best scenes come kind of in those confrontational portions, kind of those bigger, bigger, those bigger, bigger scenes, um, those bigger, more dramatic scenes. But that's only because of the script stuff that has been building the entire time. But I think La La Land has the most memorable, its most memorable scenes are its, its, um, what's it called? The, the, the dancing scenes and the dreaming scenes. But... Of the three, I think La La Land also does have the best ending. I don't know. Again, this is this is very hard to do. 
I I love all three of these films. But from a story's perspective, again, since I think Dunkirk deliberately does, or sorry, from a script perspective, since I think Dunkirk deliberately kind of doesn't have a story, doesn't have a script, um, or at least have a big script, I'm going to give Dunkirk third place for this. And then I'm going to stick with La La Land second place and Marriage Story first, because Marriage Story is just one of the best scripts that I think I've ever seen in my life. And, um, and, and La, La, Land, La La Land's up there too. But I love all three of these films. So let's get into characters. Now, I almost I almost went into it last time with La La Land, so let's just get into it now. The character, well, okay, here's the thing about the characters in La La Land. If you actually look at it, they follow a very typical, I don't know how to explain They follow a typical character archetype, the same, well, no, it's not the same thing I was talking about in Up, but it's the same story that, that a Star is Born is probably the biggest example of this, but you have, or I guess Up kind of too, like I was talking about in the previous one. You have one character that's very much one thing, one character that's very much going for the other thing, and then you could see as the film goes along, they start to get closer together. Now, it's not necessarily so much that these characters are that different, but these characters are very much going for different dreams at the beginning of this movie, and you can see it in their confrontations. The first time they meet, it's it's very confrontational. Ryan Gosling gives her like the middle finger in LA traffic. The second time they meet, it's at one of Ryan's performances and he just shrugs her off. And then the third time they meet, it's at another, it's another one of Ryan's performances, but uh, she's kind of making fun of him for being that. And then after that, they finally start dating. But at, you can see throughout the whole film he kind of is very he's still very stuck in his ways and his character in a way doesn't change too much he's still always going for his thing but you see him become more affectionate you see him become more more loving and you can see him start to care about things other than his dream but the thing that still drives him the thing that he wants more than anything in his life is to achieve his dreams it's just the same thing as Mia. And they are both, they want everything to do to achieve their dream, but then they both also want each other and they have to decide which one they want more, which I've already talked about. But I think in terms of character development, it is really good in this film. Um, it's really good in this film and both, uh, both characters really develop, but then they also stay true to what they are. Because one thing that romantic comedies can do sometimes is they'll, They'll switch the characters so much to where the characters weren't even who they were at the beginning of the film, um, where they have just switched so far where it's like, okay, you just did a full 360 with this character. But both of these characters stay true to who they are, but also evolving because of their relationship and because of how much they care about each other. But mostly in La La Land, the thing I want to talk about in terms of characters is Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling's chemistry. Um, they have... One of the one of the most seamless chemistries I think in any romance movie that I've seen. They just 
they just seem like they belong together on screen. And whether that's in Crazy Stupid Love, whether that's in this movie, whether that's in... They did one other movie together, I can't remember. But these two just have a kinetic energy on screen. And you like seeing them together and you believe that they are together in whichever role that they're doing. And they bring such life to these two roles and they bring such... Um, a personal touch to these two roles. I think their two, their energies together is really what makes this film work. Because if you had, let's say, a Miles Teller and an Emma Watson, who I think were the original people who were supposed to do this film, they're they're both fine actors in their own right. But you just cannot force chemistry, and you can't make it. And people either have it or you don't. And you know. From the very first scene that you see these two together, that they have it and they're going to carry you throughout the whole film with the chemistry that they have. And you believe that they're in love and you believe that it's a hard choice to make at the end. Because if you had Miles Teller and you had Emma Watson and they get, and they give all right performances and they have an all right chemistry, the ending doesn't really pay off because even if the movie has been telling you they're in love, you might not feel it. And... This movie doesn't beat you over the head like they're in love, they're in love, they're in love. It shows you, but honestly, you can really just see it in the movie that these two characters are in love. So when you get to the ending, you can really feel the payoff of having to make that tough decision. And you can even see it in the look in their faces. When Mia looks at Sebastian and Sebastian looks at Mia at the end, you can see how much they loved each other and how much they wished that their future had involved each other, but it couldn't. And I think that's one of the brilliant things about La La Land, and I think the character work and the acting in La La Land is great. However, in Marriage Story, it's even better. Um, Adam Driver should have won the Oscar for, be- for Best Actor that year, and it shouldn't have been close. Uh, I... I, I Look, I'm not going to get into a Joaquin Phoenix thing. I think he was okay in in that film, and I think Joker is a bad film. But Adam, the performance that Adam Driver gives is so grounded that I think everything in this film is propelled when he's in it. Which Scarlett Johansson's also very good, and I don't want to undercut her performance. And I think it's one of the best performances that she has ever did. And I think she deserved to get the Oscar recognition or at least the nomination for this movie because I think she was very good. But Adam Driver, you can see in the movie how frustrated he is. And I think that's such a hard thing to show without being over the top. But you can see, you can just really feel his character and you can see how even though He's not always in the right. And there are definitely things that he did wrong in that relationship. He just doesn't think so. And you really empathize with him because he, well, if if you haven't seen the, well, if you haven't seen the movie, I spoiled most of it. But if, uh, what was that? You could see how, like when he's talking about, we're a New York family. We were born in New York and he was, and when he, even when he's saying, well, she's saying all this stuff about LA right now, but she didn't really talk about it in the relationship. You could just tell he is so in his own mind and not, not necessarily like purposely selfish, but he's just kind of a self-centered person, but he's a self-centered person, but that doesn't mean he's a bad person. He is just someone who other people's feelings 
aren't the first thing that occurs to him. And I think it's harder for him to be affectionate than it might be for some other people. And that character is a character type that is very hard to pull off without seeming like a bad person. Because Scarlett Johansson, while great, she has a character who also does make some mistakes, but is generally likable. It is a character who you're generally going to going to be affectionate for. You might not like the things that she's doing, but you can see why she's doing it. And you can see that she's a good person who just wants to finally do some things for herself. With Adam Driver's character, it would be a lot harder to like that character if it's a worse actor. If you have an actor who tries to overdo um, or... Or especially if you try to have an actor who wants to be liked. I think that's one of the best things about Adam Driver's uh, performance. He doesn't try to be charismatic. He doesn't try to be charming. He doesn't try to be anything. He is just the character. He is what that character was meant to be. And that is a sort of self-centered, sort of um, um, inward-looking person who, who has his set of values and doesn't really take that many other people's set of values into account until it's brought right into his face and then that forces him to change and you can see throughout the film that he does change with it he does change his attitude because of the film and he grows because of it and and you can see by the end of the film he has changed but just like la la land he is still the same guy he is just adjusting same thing it's the same kind of thing with Sebastian Sebastian is also a little bit selfish um he cares about his own dreams obviously more than anything else in the world and even though he even though he had to sacrifice and he had to give up something that he really loved to achieve those dreams you could tell that he is adjusting to the situation as time goes on you can see him, you can see Sebastian adjust when he decides to join the band that he doesn't want to join because he knows that it will help him achieve his dreams in the future. Just like you see Charlie adjust in Marriage Story when he moves to LA so he can see his son more because that's how the divorce happened to shake out. So there's so many parallels between these two films in terms of characters. But I think for both La La Land and Marriage Story, you have characters that... Mm, you have characters well first of all i think both films only work because of the chemistry between the two actresses the, the actors and the performances that they give but then you also see sacrifice adjustment but then a uh uh a sticking but i don't know what the the uh I don't, I don't know what word to say there but a sticking to the character and what the character is throughout both movies and then you have dunkirk so Dunkirk again you might think I might not like this film because because um the first three ones but Dunkirk is an amazing film but it intentionally does not care about character it intentionally doesn't focus on any character I've been saying it throughout the entire thing there's a and some people will think it's boring because of it they say what is the point of this movie I didn't care about any character in this movie people who went there to see Harry Styles they just got a few few scenes with him. People who went there to see Tom Hardy, you just get a two scenes of him. You don't know any character's backstory. You don't know what's happening to any of them. You just know what's happening in the moment. And that's what war 
I I think that's what war is. I don't know. I'm not a war person. Maybe somebody who's at war is like, no, you know every single person's backstory. But I don't think so. And this is less a film about characters and less a film about story and more a film that puts you in the situation, which I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But I think Dunkirk is a film where you're not watching the film as a viewer. It's not like you're... Because because of these other two films, it's it's like you're watching a movie. You're watching somebody else's story. It's like if someone was reading you a book or someone was was telling you a story. You're watching it. You're experiencing it. But in Dunkirk, it's like you're there. Um, but that that's not really about character. But either way, for these three films, of course, I'm going to have to give Dunkirk third place again. And then I'm going to give La La Land second place. And the reason I give La La Land second place and Marriage Story first is because even though I really love Ryan Gosling and um, um, Emma Stone's chemistry, I think Ryan Gosling at times is getting thoroughly outacted by Emma Stone. And um, and also both of them, uh, well, Ryan Gosling especially, can kind of only carry a tune. So there are definitely sometimes you can see the, the deficiencies in the actors there. So now we did the three that are story-based. So now let's get into the three parts of my analysis that are, either first of all, more objective and they're more technical-based. And the first one of those, I believe, is visuals. Now, visuals for all three of these movies are great, but this is the first time where they're each three different. Now, Marriage Story, it's... There's nothing, there's nothing great. I'm not gonna say there's nothing great, but there's nothing like revolutionary about the way Marriage Story is filmed. Uh, and I think it's the reason why Noah Baumbach didn't give much recognition directing wise is because there's not really anything revolutionary in this film from a directing perspective. But I do think there are some things that people don't really notice, like the 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 way that Charlie's apartment is is constructive it, it shows the separation between the two people and um and there are just other kind of small things like that things that most people wouldn't notice and the bad thing for me is i am most people and there are a lot of probably small directing choices that make this film a little bit better throughout the film i don't recognize most of them i can only really see a film cinematography on a large scale basis which um, as why Marriage Story, for at least of these three, it's the, it's the least subtle with how good its directing is. Then you have the other two. So La La Land is, is it's a film that's like whimsical, but also still real. Now, La La Land's a beautiful film and it makes LA look very, very beautiful. And the entire time you're watching this film, you can kind of, it, it never lets you forget it's a musical by the way it's shot. The way the colors are used, um, which I was going to watch a, a video about the way colors are used in this film, but I didn't want to, honestly. But it's just even when you're on the bridge and everything's purple or when you're looking at the L.A. skyline and and it has such a beautiful backdrop, it does such a great job of showcasing L.A. in this film and showing showcasing how beautiful it is to those characters. Not necessarily how beautiful it is just in life, but L.A. is the dream city for both of those characters. And Damien Chazelle does a great job of showing that. 
And another thing I saw in a video that I was watching about this was that you have they also have uh, color schemes and the way that the co uh, characters dress, and especially Mia, who starts out wearing bright, brightly colored clothes. And you can show that her, her kind of view of life or her view of her dream is very colorful and things like that. But then when the, as the film goes on and her dream becomes closer to reality, you can see her dressing in more neutral colors. Um, and I think it's just little things like that that make La La Land, La La Land really great from a cinema, um, cinematography perspective. And also the way he moves the shot um, is just he, Damien Chazelle, probably outside of Quentin Tarantino, is one of the best with those whip shots, which uh, I don't know really how to explain them, but if it's like it goes from one character and then a quick 180 to another character, you can see it in the jazz scene with um, when Ryan Gosling's playing the piano and Emma Stone is dancing. I just love the way he uses camera in his film to showcase, showcase certain scenes and certain perspectives. He is one of the best technical filmmakers making today, and he also makes great stories. Damien Chazelle is amazing. And then in addition to that, though, you have, or wow, uh, that was the wrong transition to use. Dunkirk is what I'm trying to say. So Dunkirk is, I love Christopher Nolan, but I think the reason I love Dunkirk cinematography, because you might just look at Dunkirk and say, you know, it's a boring looking film which a lot of people don't like it when films, like for example, a lot of people got on 1917 for, well, not a lot of people, but there are some people who got on 1917's cinematography award and they were like, how did this film get a cinematography award? It's just, you know, dull looking. It just looks like a day. And they were like, there are much more films that are more colorful, but just because you're more colorful does not mean you're, who have better cinematography. War is not, it wouldn't make, it wouldn't make any sense for this film if there were purple skies or there was huge color contrasts and uh, in a war film. It, it's gonna look the way it looks. So when I'm looking at cinematography, um, I'm looking at how does Christopher Nolan in this film use the camera and use the, um, use production design and all of these things to add tension to the film. And that's what that's what this film's kind of all about. That's the film's best asset is it creates tension. And there's a few ways he does it. First of all, um, the angle that he shoots shots. When you're in a scene, and this is kind of going back to what I was talking about when I'm talking about you're experiencing it from in the theater, it's like you're there. If you look at the back to the way that Dunkirk shoots a scene, it's eye level. It's eye level. You're not looking down on characters. You're not looking up on characters, usually unless it's a wide shot. You're there with them. And why does he do that? What's the point? It's because it's like you're watching the film from a person's perspective. Not, not like a, the, an otherworldly third eye perspective where you're watching it from the outside where you can see both characters at once. You're watching it as if you're there and your view is obstructed and things like that. But it makes you really feel like you are in war, which is what this movie is going for. This is not a movie that's trying to portray, hey, this is this is um, what war. Well, 
I don't really know how to really explain that thought, but basically this is a movie that's being like, this is what it feels like to be in a war evacuation. This is what it feels like when you're trying to fight for your life and you don't know who to trust and you don't know what to do and and you and everything's going against you. This is how it feels in that situation. I think Christopher Nolan does such a great job. I'm I can even think about the most memorable scene I can think about is the there's the bombing scene. I think it was in the trailers and it's everything. When the mole or whatever is sitting down or is laying down, has his has his hands on his ears, and then you just hear bombs. One from far away, then a few, and a little closer, then a little closer, then a little closer. And each time it gets louder and louder. And this whole time you're on the edge of your seat. What's because the logic is, of reasoning is okay, this character is about to die. And this is a war film, and you don't feel that attached to any character. So it's not like you're on the edge of your seat, like like crying or anything, because this is a character that has a huge backstory. It's just a human person. And some of you have been following for this film, and these bombs are coming towards him. And then right before the bomb that would have got him, they stopped doing it. They ran out of bombs, I think. And it's just scenes like that, and that are underscored by, well, first the music, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but are just underscored by other great parts of the film that make Dunkirk so great. I wish, ah, man, I wish I was more of a technical guy so I could get into like a 20, 30 minute thing about Dunkirk cinematography because it's so good. But sadly, I don't think I have the, the chops to be able to talk for that long about why Dunkirk is great, but it is um, from a cinematography level. And I think of the three of these films, it has the best cinematography. So I'm going to say Dunkirk first, La La Land second, and Marriage Story third. <clears throat> and then, okay, so second to last here, let's get into music. Now, you know how I feel. Hans Zimmer is the best composer of all time, and he did it again with this film. Um, just an amazing score. It's not one of his best, and only because he made Inception, Interstellar, and the Dark Knight trilogy is, is, it, is it not his best. But the way... This movie doesn't work if you have a generic score. The tension doesn't work. It, it it can't just be the camera angles, and and it's not enough just to make creepy sounds and stuff. It has to be, it has to contribute to the movie, and it has to be loud when it needs to be loud, and it has to be tension filled when it needs to be tension filled, but it also knows when it needs to be quiet. It also needs to know when um when to back off. It also needs to know when there doesn't need to be any music, and you should just experience this as a character. Hans Zimmer is a master of knowing what music to put, when, and I think this is another example of that. And then you have Marriage Story, which is a, uh, another film where I really do like the music in Marriage Story, actually. I think it's very good. Um, but the thing about it is... Uh, I don't... I've seen some people, they didn't like the choice of using, what's his name? Toy Story guy, Randy Newman music in this movie. But I think it worked for me because I actually don't know. I cannot explain why I like the music in this movie, but it it just worked. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to say it. I, I, I just, I think it could have been bad because it was 
especially like the ending is very like Toy Story-esque maybe, but um, I liked it. So that's all I can say about that. And then there's La La Land. Now, La La Land has a great soundtrack. Every single song is good. Um, I love the use of jazz, but then there's also orchestral parts. Like, of course, all of Sebastian's songs are jazz-like and everything that he's in is jazz. But then you have Audition, Fools Who Dream, which is very, um, which is very, I don't know, cinematic. And I think he just uses the right music in every, in every scene. And it never becomes too much. I don't think there's too many musical numbers. And I think most musicals, if the music's not good, the music falls flat. And in La La Land, the music's good. It's put in the right place. It works with the characters and it makes sense for the movie. So for that reason, I'm going to give La La Land first place for music. Um, Dunkirk second. And Marriage Story first or third. And then lastly, so now we have cultural effect, which this is, again, this is the one where it's kind of objective. This has nothing to do with my views on the movie. I'm just saying what I think the cultural effect of these three movies are. Now, this is a weird one because Marriage Story is a film that I love. I love, but it's kind of forgotten, forgotten. It's become forgotten when you talk about films that happened in 2019. Everyone talks about Parasite. People talk about Irishman. People talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. People talk about Little Women. No one talks about Marriage Story, which I think was one of the best, if not the best film to come out last year. And even if you look at the Oscars, I think it was either shut out or maybe won one or two. Or I think Laura Dern won for no reason because she wasn't really, didn't do anything special in that movie. But it's kind of become a forgotten movie. And I think it's definitely going to go down as, one of my uh, most underrated movies I think uh, I've ever seen because I think it should be regarded as not only one of the best films to come out in 2019, but one of the best films to come out in the last decade. But people just aren't talking about it that much. And Dunkirk, I think similarly, it's very talked about. Well, actually, okay, Dunkirk is kind of a weird one because people still do bring it up a lot. It, It is the... It's the, it's the concept, or it's in a lot of controversial, controversy or whatever. Um, not controversy like, oh, like bad about the movie, but just a lot of people are like, maybe that movie wasn't that good. A lot of people think 1917 is a better version of that movie. So it's come up and talked like that. But I think what Dunkirk will mostly be remembered as is, um, is either probably a middle tier Christopher Nolan movie, not his best, not definitely not his worst. Um, and a very good war movie. But I don't think it's going to be in that many talks for the best film of 2010s, even though I think it should be. Well, maybe not, because he also made Inception and Interstellar that that decade. But it's not really in that many talks about that. And if you're talking about the greatest movies, war movies of all time, you're going to hear more people talking about Saving Private Ryan than you're going to be taught then you're going to hear talking about this movie. And I think this movie might be in the top 10, but I wouldn't hear that many people talking about it as one of the best war movies of all time. So I think it has a good legacy, but not necessarily a great legacy. And I don't know if people are going to be talking about Dunkirk that much in 10 years when Christopher Nolan has even more movies in his filmography. And then lastly, you have La La Land, which La La Land is, to me, of these three, it's a movie that I still hear about a lot. It's a movie... Um, I mean, it was obviously marred in controversy, but I, 
I think La La Land of these three is going to have a lasting legacy. And I think if you are talking about the best movies of 20, of the 2010s, I do think you're going to hear La La Land come up a lot. It might be Damien Chazelle. I like Whiplash a little bit more, actually. Um, but I think it, it's Damien Chazelle's. It was the piece that kind of got him to superstardom. Well, maybe not superstar status, but this is what made him a very respected director uh, working today. I think it brought Ryan Gosling to a new level. I think it made Emma Stone a star. Um, and I just don't think the other two movies had that effect. So for that reason, I am going to give La La Land first place here, Dunkirk second place, and then Marriage Story third, which would mean my final rankings, which again, this is not actually how I feel about these movies because in actuality, I care a lot more about story than I care about some of the technical aspects. But just because of just this ranking, third place with 11 points, which by the way, I gave three points to the first place for each category, two points to second place and one place to third or one point to third. Dunkirk was third with 11 points. Marriage Story was second with 12 points. And La La Land came in at first with 14 points. Again, I love all three of these movies. If I actually had to do a ranking, I don't know how I would because these three movies are great. And three of my favorite movies of the last five years, maybe even of the last 10 years. Um, I'm sorry if there was a little audio glitch there. I accidentally pressed the back button in it and it saved what I had before. So sorry if it seemed like it cut off a little bit. But thank you for listening. I really did like this episode. So hopefully I can, um, and I like the conversational flow about it. So hopefully I can find two or three movies that I really care about again. And I can I, I can do another episode tomorrow. But till then, uh, I will see you. I, I, I don't know how to end it. See you tomorrow. <laughs>